Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is a very special teen idol from the 50s and 60s. He is a singer, drummer, actor, author, and entertainer. He is a native of South Philadelphia, PA, my hometown as well. I'm not South Philly, but Philadelphia is my hometown. He had two streets named after him, one in South Philly and one in Wildwood. If you haven't already guessed, I'll give you one more clue. He was in Bye Bye Birdie with Ann Margaret. So please welcome kick-ass boomer Bobby Rydell. Welcome, wow. Bobby. How are you today? Well, thank you ever so much. I'm doing wonderful. And how about yourself, Terry? Great. And you look wonderful. You look great. I'm so happy to have you with me today. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. So start by telling us your story. You wrote a book, your autobiography called Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks, A Tale of Second Chances. So, but start with growing up in South Philly. What was that like? Because South Philly is such a great neighborhood. You, you couldn't have picked a better place to grow up. Well, that was because my grandparents, my mom's parents, you know, right. came over from the old country and they they moved into South Philadelphia. And that, yeah. that's where I was born and raised. Yeah. It was and, a big you know, Italian neighborhood. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. it was it was it was very ethnic. It was ethnic. But you there know, was we had a Irish, lot of we Italians. Jewish, we had Italian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the old saying is, you know. You could take the kid out of South Philadelphia, but you never could take South Philadelphia out of the kid. And that is so true. So no matter where I am, I'm South Philadelphia kid. That's know. true. And I'm always a Philly girl, too. That's where Good. I grew up. I'm a Philly uh, girl. Whereabouts, Terry? <laughs> I'm in, I was grew up in Mount Airy, right below Chestnut Hill. So I'm almost out that way, and you're down the southern way. Uh, yeah, right, for sure. <laughs> both, ends, both ends of Philly got covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So tell us about, you know, how you got started, but tell us about your father really played a big part in your success because he really believed in you. So for sure, for sure. Well, if I had any talent within me whatsoever, my father, who was my champion, he saw it at a very, very, very young age. Like I was like seven, eight years old. And my dad used to take me around to nightclubs when I was seven, eight years old do the RDA club, the 2-4 club, the BR club, the CR club, uh, Palumbo. So he, he took me all over the place, you know? Right. And he would ask the club owner, is it all right if my son got up uh, to sing a couple of songs and do some impersonations? So I would get up there being seven, eight years old, do what I did, and people would applaud. Well, I'm seven, eight years old. I said, wow, all I have to do is do this and they do that. What a wonderful feeling, you know? So basically that kind of got me ready for what was going to happen later on in my life. Doing those club dates at a very, very early age was sort of like my vaudeville. And it it, it really, absolutely. And it got me ready for things that were going to happen, like I said, later on in my life. 
Right. I believe that. That was great training ground for you. It was wonderful. And you know what? You couldn't do that today. They wouldn't let you. It couldn't happen today. So you were lucky to grow up when you did. (laughs) Yeah, there are no more, you know, clubs per se. Like, you know, uh, there are no more Copacabanas. There's no more Coconut Groves. You know, there's no more Palumbos, Keolis in Philadelphia. Sure, sure. But what a great era. What a great era it was. It was. It was. for sure. Yeah. I'm glad to have been a part of it. So there was a story you told about when your father was away in the war overseas and your mother and father were writing back and forth. So what was your mother telling him about you? Well, my mother used to write, of course, uh, my, my father uh, when he was overseas. And my mother would write, Ott, which was my father's nickname, Ott, O-double-T. Ott, the baby's always singing. The baby is always singing. And my father wrote back. And he said, well, who knows, Jenny, maybe one day we'll have a star in the family. I was three okay. years old. <laughs> and he forecasted it. There you go. Yeah, he, yeah, he did. He, he did. did. He was like, yeah, he was like Nostradamus of his day. <laughs> so then he took you around to all those clubs and you got to really right. you, you learned how to be an entertainer, I think, from that early age. You learned how to get the, to pull the crowd in. So that it was, was yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, paying dues right. at a very early age. You know, what we, call, what we call in musicianship, we call it woodshedding. You know, man, if you play, if you play hard enough, man, you got a woodshed. You got a woodshed your instrument, man. <laughs> and then you you went to the Earl Theater and you saw the drummer there. That's fascinating. Yeah. Tell us that story, how you got into drumming then. Yeah, well, my dad loved big bands. He used to love, you know, you name it, Tommy Dorsey, Tex Beneke, uh, Benny Goodman, Artie Shaw. Uh, he loved, and he wanted me to experience that kind of music. So I was only five years old, and he took me to an afternoon performance at the Earl Theater to see the Benny Goodman Orchestra. Wow. I was blown away. I was blown away because at that time, and all of those bands, they had like four trumpets and four trombones and five saxophones and singers. And, but there was one guy in the band that I told my father, I said, I don't know who he is, Dad. I said, but I want to be him. I'm, and he was the drummer of Benny Goodman Band, and his name was Gene Krupa, who was one of the great drummers of all time. Even Buddy Rich, even Buddy Rich, God rest his soul as well always said you know that gene was the guy who started it all for all of us and at five years old i started playing drums because of gene krupa that's yeah. amazing at five years old <laughs> yeah because my my grandmother god rest her soul too you know i used to play on her pots and pans he used to i get spoons and my grandmother would say to my father why don't you go get him a set of drums he's ruining all of my pots and pans so my father, we took, he, he took me to a, a pawnbroker on South Street, and there was a set of drums in the window. They were Red Sparkle, and the, the, the company name was Revere. Terrible set of drums. I mean, terrible, just a terrible set of drums, but they were drums. Right. You know, right. I didn't know at the time I hit them, and they sounded like drums, you know. Right. <laughs> Basically, that, that was my very first set. And then years later, my father worked for a place called the Electrolyte Carbon Company. He, would, he worked the punch press, and he lost his middle finger on his right hand. They gave him a bonus. With that bonus, he took me down to a place in Philadelphia in town called 8th Street Music Sales. 
And I went in and I looked at drums and I saw this one particular drum set and the color was black oyster pearl. Mm. It was a gorgeous, gorgeous set of drums. And the company was William F. Ludwig, which uh, on their logo on, on, on their drums was WFL, which stood for William F. Ludwig. And, uh, and that was my first set of really, really good drums. And later on in years, you know, like being in the business and recording and doing this. And, and then, you know, back in 1964, the Beatles came into popularity and Ringo was playing the same set that I had when I when when I was yeah when I was like fourteen years old. I when I looked I I looked and I laughed and I went. <laughs> you had, I had a good. Set. I had that set before you, Ringo. <laughs> I mean, oh, and Ringo was a great drummer too. Maybe yeah. not. I mean, he wasn't the best, but he was great. He was good. For what he had to do, yeah, he was fine. You know, I don't think he would ever be a big band drummer. I don't even know if he knows how to read music, to tell you the truth. Yeah, he might not, because a lot no, of people right. didn't. So, yeah, no, no, you didn't no, really have not. to. <laughs> no, not really. You know, you sit down, you play. Here's the, here's what we're going to you know. Here's that. This is what kind of feel we want. It doesn't get behind the set and play the feel, you know. But as right. far as putting up a piece of paper... And reading eighth notes and quarter notes and quarter note triplets and sixteenth notes, forget about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so that's great. So we got through that. So the next step, I think, after you did some drumming, but how did you? I think your friend Frankie Avalon kind of got you involved drumming at some point that kind of pulled you in. What was the? You filled in for him. Yeah. No, not really. Uh, Frankie and I go back. I, I've known Frank since I was 10 years old. And Frankie was like a couple of years older than me. He played trumpet. Okay. And later later in years, later on in years, he was working with a band called Rocco and the Saints. Mm-hmm. And the place was a club called Bay Shores. And it was in Summers Point, New Jersey, right outside of Atlantic City. And the drummer of the band, his name was Chippy Brancata. We called him Chippy Peters. He got sick. And Frankie Avalon called me. He said, could you come in and fill in for Chip Peters, Chippy Brancata? I said, yeah, man, sure. So I went and I sat and I played drums and I sang some songs. And another guy was in a band called Billy Duke and the Dukes. And he was the (laughs) bass player. He was the bass player. His name was Frankie Day. His real name, Francesco Cocchi. And after the set, you know, we used to do 40 on, 20 off, 40 on, 20 off. And he came after, uh, came up to me after one of the sets. He said, I'd like to manage you, kid. I said, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Talk to my father. <laughs> and he talked to my father and this, that, and we had a handshake. And that was back in what, uh, ooh, 1956, 57, something like that. Uh, and then, you know, uh, he he took me all over, Frankie Day. We we I auditioned for RCA, Capitol, uh, you name, I, every every major record company. I, I always got turned down. Mm-hmm. And then we finally went to our roots in Philadelphia, and I auditioned for a guy by the name of Bernie Lowe, who was the uh, was the uh, the president of Cameo, mm-hmm. uh, which later became Cameo Parkway. And I auditioned with a, another kid. I don't remember his name. It's so long ago. And we did a song. We did a song together called Buddies. 
Buddies, buddies, the best friends in the world, but two, two friends can't be buddies in love with the same little girl. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and Bernie liked me, and he signed me to a contract. And that's how it all started, yeah. That is how it all started. That is it. And then Bandstand <laughs> played a big part in your success, too. And I remember, as a kid, we would run home from school to watch Bandstand. Sure. We couldn't wait, and we couldn't wait to see the stars. But we also liked the dancers, the regulars. Like, we were talking about them all the time, too. Like, which one do you like? Who do you think dances better? Blah, blah, blah. Sure. I mean, it was Bandstand was such a huge part of Philadelphia and the teens in Philadelphia. It really was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When I signed with Cameo... I had three records that Bernie Lowe, he used to take the dubs, the acetates, and play them for Dick, you know? And Dick turned down. He turned down the, the, the three songs that I recorded. And at that point, what was I, 18, 19 years old? I said, you know what? I said that I started thinking, this is really not for me. I was really having a lot of fun playing drums, you know? And then they wrote a song. And Bernie Lowe took the acetate and the dub and he played it for Dick and Dick dropped the needle on the record and it started off and Dick said, that's a hit. Dick really and, had a good ear for what would fly oh, and I, I, what absolutely. teens like. He was excellent. We really hated to see him go when he went to L.A. We wanted to keep him in Philly. He was great. Of course, that was a whole different crowd in L.A., you know. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. they, were, they, they were in South Philadelphia. They were better kids. when they were in Philly. I liked them uh, better abso- in Philly. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so, you know, when he said that's a hit and the record came out and then all of a sudden I was on American Bandstand lip syncing my first hit record, Kissing Time. And like you said, and like you said, Terry, you know, all the kids coming home from school, 3.30 to 5 o'clock. And if, and if Dick Clark was playing a record, well, then if Dick likes it, we got to go out and buy it. You know, we so, were paying attention. If Dick liked oh, it, we were, we were definitely oh, paying attention. He was he was very, very instrumental, instrumental in my in my recording career. Absolutely. I think he was in a lot of people's recording career because, like you said, he had that feel for what teenagers wanted to hear. So if he he could hear that song, Kissing Time was a hit. He knew right away and yeah. he put it on a show and then it made it a hit. So yeah, absolutely. Because every kid, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast was national TV. So if Dick was playing your record, my God, you had a hit. You know, you had a hit. for Absolutely. It, for sure. Yeah, I, I remember when one of the girls down the street, Judy Wilson, used to go to the show and dance. But my sister, who's a year older than me, was counting down the days when she would be old enough to get on the show. And right before she was old enough, they moved to L.A. They met her. You flew to Coop, huh? <laughs> yeah, he was so disappointed because we all wanted to go. We all wanted to be on the show because then you got to see all the stars face to face. You're. And she, we missed it. Then it moved to L.A. And that was that. It was very uh, difficult. You know, another thing about, you know, the regulars, uh, the regular dancers on bandstand. Yep. If they didn't like you, uh, if they didn't react to you, you were in trouble. You were. Yep. yep. You, you were in trouble. Uh, because <laughs> if, if those regulars on the show didn't like your, your appearance, uh, how you dress, uh, what your hair looked like, what the song was, if yep. they didn't like you, 
you were in a lot of trouble. <laughs> you were because we were paying attention to them too. They were like our celebrities, even though For they sure. really oh, and they were. Like, well, no, they were. They yeah, were. Yeah. Everybody across the United States knew every one of those dancers' names for crying out loud. Absolutely. <laughs> Amazing. But today I couldn't name one of them. No, I, I, I forget too. I can hardly remember my name for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so then let's move and talk about because after you got famous on bandstand of course you were asked to play the cameo in bye bye birdie and it worked out to be way bigger than a cameo so tell us about how that came about yeah i went out my screen tested uh with ann margaret mm -hmm. uh, because ann that was her second movie her first movie was a movie called pocket full of miracles with glenn ford peter falk Mickey Shaughnessy, who was from Philadelphia. And so she was kind of brand new as well. You know, Anne was brand new. So we screen tested for George Sidney, who was the uh, the director of Bye Bye Birdie, a sweetheart of a man. And we would read some lines from the script, you know, because when you do a screen test, you basically are looking into the camera and they want to see what kind of personality you have, how you come across on screen, you know, on screens. So and then we sang, you know, with Billy Gann saying, one boy, one special boy. I said, one girl, one special girl. And Mr. Sidney said, thank you ever so much for being in touch. Okay, now I go home, you know. And a couple of weeks go by, and my manager, Frankie Day, calls me up. He says, they want you for the part of Hugo Peabody. Wow. Well, at that point, I had seen, I had seen the Broadway show, and Dick Van Dyke, was the lead actor. He was he was Albert Peterson in the Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And I went to see the show and my part was Hugo Peabody. Well, I'm looking and Hugo Peabody did nothing. <laughs> he didn't sing. He didn't dance. He didn't have a line of dialogue. He was just there like a like a like an Italian. We call it to the dupe. You know, he's just standing <laughs> around, you know, like a real to the dupe. You. So now I go out to make the motion picture and each day my script got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because Mr. Sidney saw some kind of magic between Anne Margaret and myself. Absolutely. Yep. I don't profess to be a movie star, you know, but if I was involved in one motion picture, my God, bye bye birdie. Such a classic. That was the one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, yeah, yeah. If you really stop to think about it, you know, if you're going to high school and you're doing plays, they're going to do either Grease or they're going to do Bye Bye Birdie. Right. And talking big, about Grease, Grease named the high school. Yeah. Yeah. Right right now, why after yeah. like as a tribute to you? I, I guess so. You know, because I, I, I often wondered why they picked me. You know, for Rydell High, it could have been it could have been Fabian High, it could have been Anka High, it could have been Presley High, uh, Everly High. You know, so they picked me, and uh, my God, what an honor! You know, that is an honor. Yeah, for sure, for sure, absolutely, absolutely. So then after the heyday of the of Bye Bye Birdie and all your hits, like when you were the younger teen idol, then things kind of settled down for a while and there wasn't a lot happening. So what was your next move? What did you decide to do next to keep singing? At that time, uh, there were still clubs around. So I kept doing club dates, you know, because 
in this business, like everybody knows, you have your highs, your lows, your peaks, your valleys, your ups, your downs, so on, so on. You just got to keep on doing what you're doing. Nurture your craft. Keep on working, 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 because eventually something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Something will. Something's going to happen. It could be good, could be bad. For me, it was good. For me, it was on the good side because there was a guy, well, uh, still is, his name was Dick Fox, who later became my manager. And I had a manager at the time who gave me a phone call. He said, Dick Fox called me and he wants to put you, Frankie Avalon, and Fabian together to do a show. And he wants to call it the Golden Boys. So I said, gee, that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. So make a long story short, Frankie calls me, uh, Fabian called Frankie, I called Fabe, you know, and we're all talking, what do you think, what do you think? Hey, man, that sounds great. Because we were all born and raised a couple of blocks away from one another. Right. I was was on the 2400 block of South 11th Street, and Fabian was the 2500 block of South 11th Street, and Frankie was on 9th Street. Oh my gosh, so close. Yeah, so close. So we got together. Our first show was in Detroit. Sold out. So and we did we did something like 45 to something like 61 nighters. We traveled on a bus, we were on planes, we were on trains, and it was a tremendous success. I mean, everywhere we went, it was SR row, standing room only. So at one point during the uh, during the tour, I turned to Frank. I said, I, and I call him Cheech, you know, because Frank is <laughs> Cheech in Italian. I said, Cheech, this is wonderful. I said, but how long is this going to last? A year, two years tops and it's over. Well, that was 1985. It's now 2021. We're still doing the show. And it's better now than it was back in 85. I bet. I bet. Because all us boomers, we would love to see all of you. So now you had to shut down during COVID. But are you going to come back? I'm waiting for you to come back. Well, matter of fact, I leave next month. I, I fly in, I fly into Orlando, Florida, and I work a place called the Claremont Performing Arts Center for two nights, March 18th and 19th. I fly to Orlando on the 17th. and So hopefully uh, it's going to start opening up again. Right. Yeah. I know you were scheduled to be in Bethlehem, PA at one point, which is real Correct. close to me. So I would right. love you to come back to Bethlehem. And I think sing. I think that books, I'm not quite sure when the date is going to actually happen. There are quite a few. There are quite a few things. Uh, there's Florida, there's Chicago uh, in, in Bethlehem. We're going to oh, Battle Battle Creek, Michigan. We're going to Shipshawana. <laughs> well, yeah. I've never even heard of Shipshawana, but there's a casino there in Shipshawana. <laughs> uh-huh. There you and, go. Uh, so, you know, all of these all of these engagements are on the book. You know? Yeah. And some of them, some of them, uh, the dates are correct. Some of them, we're not quite sure, like like the one in Bethlehem. Because Florida is open, so you can do Florida now, which is yeah, great. Absolutely. Uh, we're not quite open enough in Bethlehem, but we should be, but maybe by the summer. So I'm hoping you'll be back singing in Bethlehem in the summer. Yeah, of course, that was a what was uh, what was it called before they changed the name? Was it, it was near the steel stacks? Were you singing in the uh, casino? In, in the sure. casino. What was okay. it called? The Sands, wasn't it? Yes, yes. It was it called was, the I Sands. Think. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. now it's it's uh, it's uh, it's something else. I forget the crosswinds or something. 
Could be. I forget. Yeah, I forget. Could be crosswinds. That sounds familiar. Yeah, 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 I think so. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm anxious because that's closer. Now, you're also playing in Lancaster, PA at some point, but that's further away. So, Bethlehem. Yeah, I don't re- remember exactly when the date is, but we work there at the American Music Theater, we, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful venue. So is it? Uh, we're looking. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great venue. And uh, we're looking forward. You know, when I say we, Getting you know, back, Frankie, yeah. Fave and myself, yeah, to do that. Because yeah. you love to sing. You want to be out singing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. But you know, you know what? You know, since I'm not working, you know, I haven't been working. Uh, and thank God I'll be uh, back again in March in, uh, in Florida. But it's wonderful going into the shower, you know, because uh, I go into the shower and I vocalize. That's and I good. sing in the shower. And the shower comes down and it's like applause. You know, sh- the are good in the shower. And I go, and I, 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 I'm singing in the shower, and I say, "Look, I'm a hit. I'm a hit." You just <laughs> applause, and then play it, singing in the room, and play the applause. I'm a, I'm a hit in the shower. There you go. <laughs> Love it. Oh God. Oh, you'll be a hit again. We'll we'll be back. COVID will be behind us, and we'll be back where we were again. I can't wait to. I really can't. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but in between that, before you started the Golden Boys and after you were the big hit in the Teen Idol, you were on a lot of TV shows and you were on yeah. some of my favorites like Milton Berle, Jack Benny. I love Jack Benny. Joey Bishop, George Burns. He was my favorite. And then the Red Skelton Show. I love the Red Skelton Show. Oh, so Red was a precious. Bit about, yeah, because you have a little story about the Red Skelton Show. Yeah, well, I remember it was the first show. And I was sitting in the audience. Uh, this was at rehearsal. And Cecil Barker, who was the producer of the Skelton Show, he said, I understand that you do one of Red's characters. I said, yes, I do uh, Clem Kedittlehopper. And he said, can I hear it? And I started. And Red was to my left, rehearsing with David Rose and the orchestra. And he overheard me. And he came back to me as Clem Kedittlehopper. Make a long story short, I did like 12 shows with Mr. Skelton. That's a lot. The one show they wrote, and I was the only guest star who ever appeared on the Skelton show to impersonate or imitate one of his characters. And they wrote a script. They wrote a script, Clem and Zeke Kedittlehopper. I played his cousin. And it was precious. Oh my absolutely God. Absolutely precious. And he loved me. He absolutely took me to his home in Palm Springs, flew me there. And his wife said to me, You know, Bobby, I can count on one hand the number of people that Red has invited out to his house. And uh, we had a great relationship. We really had. And I remember my first wife, Camille, God rest her soul. And my kids, Jennifer and Robert, we went to see Red at the Sands in Las in excuse me, in Atlantic City. And Red was a great, he did pantomime. You know, he did great pantomime. Yes. And the one that I always remember is an old man watching a parade with the American flag going by, and he drops his cane and he walk and I cry. Yeah. I yeah. cry. Yeah, I can imagine. So, yep. so my my uh, my 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 son turned to my wife, Camille, he said. Yeah. He said, Mom, why is dad crying? 
And my wife, Camille, said, you don't know how much that man meant to your father. So after the show, we go backstage. Right. And I looked at him and I said, because earlier when we used to do the shows, I always called him Mr. Skelton. Of course, mm -hmm. I could never call him Red. And he called me Mr. Rydell. He said, let's stop this. I'm Red. You're Bobby. Yeah, there you go. And it <laughs> took me a long time to call him Red. Well, so we went back. Then we always, and you grew up as an Italian, the immigrants that came to, we respected our elders, and we never used their first name, ever. No, it, it was, was always, always Mr. This, Mr. So, you know, so and so forth. Yep, so yep. anyway, we go, at, we go backstage, and I, I said, Red, I said, you did it again. He said, what did I do? I said, you made me cry. He said, was I that bad? <laughs> he was, he was precious. And going, I, I never, I never did George Burns TV show, but my first appearance in Las Vegas uh -huh. at the Sahara hotel was two weeks with George Burns. That was absolutely wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. He used me. He used Bobby Darren. Oh, uh, yeah, I think he used Anne. I think he used Anne Margaret you uh -huh. know, as the second act, you know, and I would go on and do 20 minutes and then he would come back out again and we do a soft shoe together to some wow. of these days. And he would sing it like, you know, Burns would sing, you know, some of these days, 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 you want to miss me, honey. And then I would do it like Darren. Some of these days you're gonna miss me, baby. And then we do a soft shoe together, and it was precious. Yeah. Jack Benny, I did the Jack Benny TV show, and from that show we toured. We did a lot of uh, theater in the rounds, and he was also. Yeah, I mean, what can you say about those people? You know. Oh, they were fabulous. They were they were good people, and. Great entertainers. I, when I was done with George Burns on stage, I would come down every night, get out of my tuxedo and watch him in the wings. Every night I would watch him to hear, to see how he delivered a line, his timing. You know, you can do nothing but learn. Oh, yeah. Those giants, you know, like Burl, like Betty, like Burns, uh, like Como, Perry Como. Uh, Joey Bishop was wonderful. He was another South Philly guy, you know. And I, of course, I did his show. And I remember when I was doing Skelton, and Joey Bishop was filling in for Johnny Carson on the Tonight Show. And whoever the powers that be said, "Who would you like as a guest?" And he mentioned me, Bobby Rydell. And they said, "No, no, no, you can't have Bobby. Bobby can't do this show. We don't want Bobby." And Joey said. Well, if you don't want Bobby, you don't want me. Oh, my God. See that? That's great. So so Joey Bishop was, you know, taken over for Johnny Carson. Mm -hmm. And I was on the show. There you go. I was on the show. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And he wanted to support another South Philly entertainer. That's the thing. Like people used to hold together and you would all try and support one another. Like I said earlier, Terry, you could take the kid out of South Philly, but you can't take the South Philly out of the kid. You know, that's, that's <laughs> true. That's true. I love it. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Yeah. So and I have a story about my sister, because when you were performing up in the Poconos, you used to do Mount Airy Lodge Correct. up in the Poconos. Yes. Yeah. And after performing, you would go listen to some of the smaller acts that were in the smaller rooms. So my sister, Joey Price, was singing in one of the real little rooms. And you came in and listened to her singing. 
after you were done. And then when she got a break, she came and sat down and talked to you. And you were so friendly and you were willing to talk and chat with her. And she thought that was great. And she's the one that told me you've got to call Bobby Rydell to be on Kick-Ass Boomers because he is the friendliest entertainer out there. Well, I pride myself being that way. I mean, yeah. I, you know, ever since, you know, when things started happening for me, I was still a kid from South Philadelphia, hanging out on the steps, going to the local soda shop, George's Ice Cream Parlor, listening right. to records on a Wurlitzer, having a Coke and a Sunday, and just hanging, you know, with the guys and the girls in the neighborhood. And I've always been that way. I always have time for everybody. You do. You, know, you, do. you want to take a picture. You want to sign an autograph. That's someone's right. for it. So, you and know, another I, story about my family is when you were doing a book signing in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. My three other sisters, there were four of us. We have six sisters all together, but four of us were there that day. And you let me take a picture of them. I'm not in the picture because I was taking <clears> it. But it was my other sister who lived in Florida. It was her birthday. And you let us call her and you sang her happy birthday. Oh, wow. During that well, book signing. See, I mean, that's the way I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's why we love you. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, that is why we love you. You're just always down to earth friendly. You never, uh, you know, it's like, like so many stars, when they get really big, they want nothing to do with their fans and their yeah, fans hate well, them. And you're well, not. Oh, for sure. For yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Never been. Yeah. yeah. So did we miss anything? Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Trying to look over my notes to see if uh, I think we covered just about everything. I think we did. We covered a yeah. lot. I mean, your career has been extensive. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you one thing: we didn't cover. You know, we you didn't, mentioned we didn't cover you earlier. losing Camille, and we want to talk about that. Oh well, that was that was uh, that was traumatic. That it was, was. You know, so we were, we'll talk about that. But what else was it? Were you thinking of something else? I, I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about the book. Oh, yeah. Talk about the book. Absolutely. Uh, Bobby Rydell, Teen Idol on the Rocks, A Tale of Second Chances. If anybody wants to purchase it, they can go to the website and bobbyrydell.com and you go under merchandise and there's hats and there's coffee mugs and, you know, all kinds, and, and the book and the book is there. So anybody who cares to read the book, just go to bobbyrydell.com and you can purchase the book right off of the website. But, you know, Camille and I were married for 35 years and we kept we kept company for 10 years before we got married I, I, I was a woman to wait 10 years for you she uh, was amazing. truly truly amazing yeah, i mean that's a long time you know because back then if you had a girlfriend yes all of the other you know fans you know they they always thought they had a shot for you uh, me uh, frankie avalon so you know to have a girlfriend was like the whoosh taboo Right. So if she came to a concert, she was either my cousin or a relative, so on and so forth. So we kept company for 10 years and then we finally got married. I was 25. She was 24. Wow. But we kept company for, for like she was an amazing woman to wait for. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't. She was one hell of a woman. She really yeah. was. Yeah. And then you were on the road a lot of the marriage. So she raised the kids. So Yeah, absolutely. She raised our two children. Yeah. She she actually raised Robert and Jennifer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah she did. And what happened when she died? It's just she died of cancer and you fell apart. You fell apart. Oh, I did fall apart. Yeah. I mean, after 35 years, 
And uh, when she was first diagnosed, she, she came home from the hospital with her cousin. And she said, Bobby, sit down. I have to tell you something. And I said, what, sweetheart? She says, I have breast cancer. And she was smiling. I said, what? Oh, yeah. You know, and yada, yada, yada. And she survived, ten, well, close to nine years. Did she? After, yeah, yeah. She, wow. Uh, um, so at least I had her, you know, for quite a while after she was first diagnosed. Good, good. But when she, when she passed, I, I remember being in the hospital. Uh, she was at Lankanau Hospital. It's a wonderful hospital. And I was supposed to go to Vegas. And I said, she was on the bed. She had tubes and dicks, so forget about it. Oh, and I said, wow. I said, sweetheart, I said, I'm not going to Vegas. And she was laying in bed and she was just nodding her head. She went like this. I said, no, I said, no, I can't. No, no. And she was going, no, go. Oh. And it was like her dying wish. It was like, you know, something from the deathbed. So I went to Vegas and I was with Frankie, just Frankie and me. Uh-huh. And I worked Friday, Saturday. My son called me Saturday night. He said, Dad, you better come home. And I told Frankie, I said, Frank, I got to leave because yeah. we had to do one more day. Right. And Frankie loved Camille. Uh-huh. And he hugged me. He started crying. And I went home. And uh, I, I got home the day before she passed. Oh, you know? wow. So thank God I was there. You yeah. Know, thank God yeah. I was there. I don't know what I would have thought if she had passed away while I was in Vegas. I, I don't know. But anyway, a lot of the book, when it says a tale of second chances, because in 2012, I had a liver and a kidney transplant that saved my life. And the reason I had that was because when Camille passed away, there's nobody to talk to, nobody to laugh with, nobody to cry with, nobody to tell you stories to, nobody to have sex with. And I turned to alcohol and I became an alcoholic. And, but I, I was never, never, never cockeyed or drunk on stage. Mm -hmm. After the shows were done, I get loaded. I get cry. I get, I get an Italian. We call it umbabi. He said, "Oh, look at him. He's umbabi over there." <laughs> but the drinking became such a problem that I needed uh, a liver and a kidney transplant. Wow. And, yeah, and there was a doctor also at Lankanaw prior to the uh, to like two years before, like 2010. He, he, he looked at me, said, Bobby, he said, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to be dead in two years. And I looked at him. I said, well, what the hell? I might as well have a good time. You know, if I'm going to be dead in two years, let me go out swinging. You right. know? And oh, he was absolutely right. Because in 2012, it's when I had the liver and the kidney transplant. Oh. And that was because of a young girl. Her name was Julian from Running, Pennsylvania. She was hit by a car. She was immediately pronounced brain dead which is the only way that you can get an organ. You have to be pronounced brain dead. And my wife and I are sitting at home, Linda, and we got a call from Jefferson. They said, get over here. And my wife and I, I said, can I put my wife on the phone? Because I don't know, really understand what you're talking. So they explained to my wife that they had a liver, a kidney, and the same blood type, which I was O, I'm O positive. And there aren't that so, many O positive people. No, right. I, I can give to anybody. 
I can get, I, I can get, but I can only take. Right. Go figure that this beautiful Weird, young I girl. Thought you could get anything, but you couldn't. No, they had to no, be. Oh, and this, okay. and this wow. beautiful young girl, Julia, 21 years old, was all positive. So I go in, and the surgeon who I we are dear friends to this day from Italy. His name was Cataldo Doria. We called him Aldo. And prior, well, after the surgery. He went home to his wife and he said, uh, I prayed on a gentleman today, uh, his name uh, Bobby Randell. And the wife said, you operated? He said, yeah. Oh, you know something? He said, Bobby Randell, he's a big, famous singer. They said, oh, he said, I didn't know. I didn't know. So every day he would come and see me in the hospital and we'd speak Italian. Oh, that's another, nice. You yep. know, yep, that's and nice. I remember one doctor saying, Bobby, after your surgery, be prepared to stay in the hospital for a month, two months. Wow. So I said, well, you know, if, if whatever, you know, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. And the, Aldo, Cataldo Dori, he came in one day and he spoke broken, you know, and he said, Bob, he said, I think you want to go home and maybe get three, four days. Wow. I was I was home 10 days after my surgery. 10 days. That 10 is days. phenomenal. Liver, is- kidney. I was in I was in the OR for like 23 22 23 hours in the OR. Oh my gosh, that is yeah. a long time. Well, because I shared my liver with a young a little girl. Mm-hmm. She was only 5 years old at the time. Her name is Saya. Mm-hmm. So the liver is the only organ in your body that reproduces. Right. So I knew that. the little yep. girl, the little girl got 25%. Asaya got 25%. I got 75%. Now my now she's doing wonderful, Asaya. She's a sweetheart of a little girl. And so the surgery is about 2010. It's now 2021. Right. So and I'm still here. And you're still <laughs> and, here. You're still and I'm still singing. And, and I do my blood work in this, and I go to the liver clinic and the and the kidney clinic, and they right. look at the numbers and they say you're doing absolutely wonderful. Your kidney's in great shape. Your liver's fantastic, and so on and so forth. So I remember one doctor saying to me after the surgery, he said, "Bob, he said your liver and your kidney are going to outlive you." Right. <laughs> it won't be the liver or kidney that gives out. It'll be something no. else. <laughs> right. You know, right. So, I mean, I, I, the, the way it happened, though, Terry, it was like a miracle, really. It was know? a miracle. And, yeah. and it really it really was, you know, and you know, I'm Catholic and I do believe in God. And I, I and I probably, you know, he probably when I say he I'm speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ. He probably yep. looked down on me and said, Hey, you know what, Bobby? I'm not ready for you now. You still got a couple of things to do. I'll let you hang around a little while longer. There you go. Yeah, I had to bid him say a little bit more time. Those fans still need him. Give him some more singing time. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Oh, that's great. That's great. And when did you meet your second wife, Linda? Well, like how long after your wife died? It was before the transplant, but... Yes, yes, it was. Uh, I met her. It was like 2007. So my wife's name is Linda Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Now, every Wednesday night for years, we, we go to dinner, uh, all, all Italian guys. We go to an Italian restaurant in South Philly somewhere, you know, mm-hmm. and they all knew that I 
Camille had passed and I really didn't go out other than doing what I do and that's performing and singing. And there was this one girl who was a friend of one of the guys who said, she said to me, I met a girl for you, Bobby. I think she'd be wonderful. I said, really? I said, what's her name? I said, Linda Hoffman. I said, that's my fan club president. She said, no, it's a different Linda Hoffman. And it was. It was a different Linda Hoffman. How about but same that? Name. Same name. Same name. Yeah. Well, my fan club president, Linda Hoffman, uh, her real her, her family name was Farino. Oh. Linda Farino. But she married a Hoffman, so she became Linda Hoffman. Oh, my gosh. Who the hell wow. knew there was two Linda Hoffmans and they lived, you know, like a mile away from one another? They went to the same hairstylist, the same nail salon, the Did same they? doctor. Really? Yeah. Oh, it, my gosh. So That's weird. really funny. That's yeah. weird. Yeah. Weird. So I gave her a call. I said, you have her number. Uh-huh. I got her number and I called her. I said, Linda? She said, yes. I said, this is Bobby Rydell calling. She said, really? I said, yeah, your name was given to me by a friend, you know, so on and so forth. She said, I said, I'd like to meet you. Would you like to go out and have dinner one night? So it was a Wednesday night. It was the Italian night. It was Halloween. It was October 31st, 2007. Wow. And we sat, we talked, you know, this, that, and... I went back home. I said, she's not, you know, she's a nice girl, you know, a lot of fun, smart, very smart too, extremely smart woman. Oh, she's beautiful. And, and, and beautiful she's as well. She's beautiful. I just now, saw her. She's beautiful. We, now, you know, to get to know her, I took her to, we went to uh, 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 Mexico. We went to Puerto Rico. We went to Florida just to hang out and see, uh, are we, are we compatible? compatible? You know, right. And it, everything worked out. So in 2009, we got married. Wow. And my dog. And my dog's gone crazy. He wants to get in on the app. Uh, yeah. I, so now, you know, we're, we're married. Uh, we just celebrate our 11th wedding anniversary. So again, you've been lucky in love two times. Two fabulous, beautiful women. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, can you get because they were both beautiful, fantastic women and they both adore you that, you know, they they did and they do. So it's you've been very, very lucky in life. Thank God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Terry, I am a very, very lucky guy. You do. Extremely lucky. Yeah. And the other thing I think is really good that a lot of men don't have. You've got your two other friends from South Philly, Frankie Avalon and Fabian, that you've got this great relationship with. And a lot of men don't have good male friends. They just don't. Well, like I said, well, like I said, we grew up together. Right? I mean, like, I, you know, although Fabian only lived a half a block away from me, I didn't know him until we were both in the business. Right. Wow. You know, because in South Philadelphia, each block had its own hang. There were a different bunch of guys. There were a different bunch of girls. So a half a block away was a, like a foreign country, for crying right. out loud, you know. Right. <laughs> but so I never knew him till the business. But like I said earlier, Frankie and I go back. I was 10 years old. Right. So the first person I called when I was going to, uh, the, uh, to get my transplant at Jefferson Hospital I called Frankie. I said, Frank, I said, I'm going to the hospital. I'm getting a new liver and a kidney. And he said, I'm going out. I'm going to church right now. And I'm going to pray. 
good for him that everything yes, goes well. Yeah, wow. Yeah. That's yeah. a good friend. That's a good yeah, friend. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good friend. That's great. Wow. So you still have them. You have a lot of childhood friendships. So when you were going through your teen idol days and you were out in Hollywood, you never got caught up in that Hollywood drinking and drugs. And thank God you never got into any of that. that no. And you made the choice, I think, not to stay in Hollywood, to come back to Philadelphia. Well, you know what? I never, I, I was never a fan of the West Coast. Right. Frankie moved out there when he was very young. He moved out there like 1960, and he's been out there ever since. And he always used to tell me, Bobby, he said, if you, if you decide to move out here, you can do TV, you'll have your own show, you'll, you're so talented, and this and that. I, and I would say to I said, Frank, I said, by the time I move out to California, Montana is going to be oceanfront property because you people out here are nuts with earthquakes, mudslides, fires. And, and Frankie, because he's funny, he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what about back home, Bob, when it gets cold and snowy in the wintertime? I said, Frank, I can always turn up the thermostat, you know. No, and then we're not going to have any mudslides here. We're not going to have any tornadoes, hurricane. You know, we're not going <laughs> to. No, none of that. None of that. No. So, oh, my gosh. So a lot of your stories are in your book. So I really encourage my Boomer Nation to go out and buy Bobby's book, go to his website. All of that's going to be in my show notes where they can find everything. So Great. Great. Thank you, Terry. I'll put all that. They can just click on it and, and find your website. I just wanted to, there was another, oh, I wanted to give a shout out to Dr. Ron Kaiser, who also works out of Jefferson Hospital. So Jefferson Hospital is a great hospital. He's a psychologist. Oh, it's one of the, yeah. You know, that's one great thing we have in Philadelphia. We have great, great hospitals in Philadelphia. We have the best. So I just interviewed Dr. Ron Kaiser yesterday, so he'll be on before you. So he might be on on Monday and you'll be on the following Monday. But he he wrote a book, Rejuvenaging, to tell you how to age better. And it's I had no idea he was in Philly. I had no idea he had written a book. He's affiliated with Jefferson with the uh, Headache uh, Center. He's the okay. director, but this All book right. is fabulous. So it was funny. So I interviewed him just yesterday, and now I'm interviewing you. All these Philadelphia people, all of a sudden, but we Boy, do. I got to find. I, I got to find this number. I'll have to talk about about rejuvenation. I got to yes. talk to this man. Yes, you got to <laughs> buy his book because he he took he, he uh, puts everything in the book about how to stay younger, stay healthier. That's why huh. I interviewed him because that's what my podcast is all about: helping okay. people age well. Keep working like you. Like, there's no reason to sit at home just because you're over 65. Keep working if you love what you do. And <laughs> I love that you're still singing. Absolutely. Oh, hey, look, George Burns, who I I loved and adored and worked with him in Las Vegas. Yep. They, they always ask him, when are you going to retire? He said, retire? He never retired. And he, what, he, when he passed away, he was 100. And he yep. was still working. He was. He, he was. Never re- he never retired. Never. And there's a lot so of Hollywood so people my, don't. As long as your voice holds out, you want to keep singing, right? Oh, uh, yeah. He's my hero. Yes. George Burns is my hero. Absolutely. And he's, when I first worked with him, I was what? Oh, 20 tops? 20 wow. years old tops? Wow. He used to say to me, don't ever let me catch you in the, in the casino. I don't want to see you in the casinos. 
<laughs> and I would never go in, but God forbid he would catch me playing blackjack or craps or something. I get my head chewed off. Absolutely. Absolutely. He didn't want <laughs> to get you hooked on, on gambling because you can get hooked so easily. So that's why. Oh, yeah. Well, thank God. I mean, I, I would gamble. I, you know, later on in years, I would gamble. But, you know, you know, just to have passed the time, I would never go crazy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I, there's one great story. I'm working the DI, the Desert Inn, and this is with uh, Frankie and Fabe. And Camille was with me at the time. That's how far back this goes. And there was a game called, oh, it's called Caribbean Stud Poker. Oh. So you 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 don't play against anybody who's sitting at the table. You play against the dealer. That's it. Like It's almost like a blackjack game. You know, the, the, the people here, it doesn't matter. You know, it's the dealer. So they, they have a computer. And uh, and you have to put a dollar in the slot, right, to be able to win what's on the computer. Right. Okay. And the computer at that time was $150,000 for a royal straight flush. Wow. Okay. okay. So now I'm, there's a guy here. I'm in the middle and a girl on the left. This guy on my right, he has a, a full house. A girl on my uh, on my left has four of a kind. I have a straight flush. I have eight, nine, ten, jack, queen of hearts. Oh my gosh! So now this guy on my right looks at the dealer. I forget she was a girl, uh, and uh, I forget her name. And this guy says he has a really good hand. She says, "Do you, Bobby?" I said, "Yes." She said, "What do you have?" I said, "It didn't matter." I said, I have, a, I have a straight flush. And now all she had to do was open. And to open like ace king would meant she opened two pair, you know, like a pair of sixes. You know, if she had nothing, then the hand don't mean anything. But she opened. She opened with two sixes. Now the guy on my left's got a full house. The girl has four of a kind. I got a straight flush. Wow. Everybody at the table wins. And oh I would so so now because of the straight flush, uh-huh, I got ten percent of the pot. I won fifteen thousand dollars that nice, night. Nice, nice. So now you know the pit boss gotta come over. Right. You know, to make sure everything is right. So I turned to him, he was an Italian guy, I forget, let's say it was Tony. I said, Tony, I said, uh, how often does this happen? He went like this, never. <laughs> Was everybody at the thing? So now my wife, God rest her soul, Camille, she was uh-huh. playing a slot machine. Uh-huh. So I said, sweetheart, come over here. I got to show you something. She said, Bobby, I have 25 quarters in the machine. I said, come over here. I want to show you. Now my wife knew cards. So I opened my hand and she said, that's a straight flush. I said, yes. I said, and it's mine. She said, how much did you win? I said, 15 large. <laughs> she almost wow. had a heart attack then. So I, she wanted she wanted to buy a, a computer at that time, a, a new computer. So I said, right. you can buy one. You can send rockets to the moon, whatever you want to buy. You know, it has all the bells, whistles, and everything on it. Right. <laughs> so that's oh one my. of the first things we bought when we went back home was a new computer. <laughs> how about that? What a yeah. story. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> So I think we've covered everything. Um, I'm going to encourage all of my boomers to definitely go to your website, buy your book, 
There's a lot of really good stories in there. You'll enjoy reading all about Bobby Rydell. And of course, once he's back playing in the area, I encourage you to go see the Golden Boys. All right. Well, thank you ever so much, Terry. Yes, I want to give one more shout out to my brother-in-law, Larry Negro, because he's from South Philly and he's been a musician his whole life. Hasn't been as famous as you, but he has a website. He writes a lot of songs. So if you're looking for new material, you can always check out LarryNegro.com because sounds good to me. He's got the type of music you sing, like into the new songs that the younger people sing. Uh Uh-huh. Wonderful. You should check him out. Another Italian guy. (laughs) (laughs) We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.